So we're going to have Acts chapter 12 this morning, guys. For you older kids who are going to be hanging out with us, this is a neat time to jump into Acts because we're going to be getting into Paul's missionary journeys. And we had prayer this morning before service. And I think we had more kids praying with us than adults this morning up there. And it was so cool. I, I was uh, helping Sonny get set up for kids' church, so I got up there a little late. And it was so neat hearing their prayers this morning because they were praying missions they're praying for the mission persecuted church. They were praying for more Bibles to get printed. And I'm just sitting here. I'm like, none of the adults are praying. These kids are just praying for the mission field. I'm like, this is so cool, Lord. And that's really uh, what we see God's heart. He's a missionary God. And that's really what we get to see as we study the book of Acts is how God, all that he's done, the gift of eternal life, how he's sending his people, his disciples out into the world to share the good news. And I'm hoping that we all get stirred up, no matter if you're young or old. The reality is, guys, this is something God's called us all to do. Um, so I encourage my younger brothers and sisters, a lot of you have started summer break. You get to hang out with neighbor friends and do things this summer. Share Jesus with your friends. They need to know. Um, yeah, sound good? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, we do thank you, too. Uh, just how your word stirs us up, God. It helps us to believe. It uh, helps us to see that every single person, Lord, they need you, Jesus. They need a Savior. They need their sins to be forgiven, and you're the only one that can do that. You're the only one, Father, who made a way by your sacrifice, which we're so thankful for. And we ask this morning as we open your word, once again, that you give us ears to hear. God, I want to see uh, our church, this family, do great things for you, God. Because we know that you're a great God. And I pray that you'd help us to be uh, just believing, Lord, to have prayers of faith. God, to step out boldly and watch you do great things. We pray this in your name. Amen. So, in 246 B.C., when 14-year-old Ying Zheng Zhang, any of you guys 14? A couple. Okay. Think about if you were ascending to the throne to take over a whole country. Well, this is what he did in the China province um, when uh, he was uh, just 14. And he took for himself the title as the first emperor. Okay, and he made plans, his plans very clear in doing so. And he proceeded to war against all the neighboring uh, states. Okay, so he took over the, for uh, Qin province. That's where China ends up coming from. And he, uh, he went to war, um, and he went to war against everyone until he made all of China um, his. And he proclaimed to be emperor of all of China. But his plans did not stop there. Uh, he wanted similarly uh, prepared uh, his life after death. So he began uh, construction of his tomb and around the site where his body would be buried he built a series of halls with large standing statues of army men complete with soldiers, weapons, horses, and chariots. And there's no written records left of how big the whole complex is, but they're excavating today, and it's revealed that there's over 7,000 
thousand life-size terracotta clay figures that were part of his army. So each figure has a unique face, appropriate clothing for their ranks, and they all have real weapons. So clearly Ying had eternal ambitions for the fame of his name. So during his reign as emperor of China, Ying unified the country, the currency, and the written language. But he also gained a significant reputation as a tyrant, removing any opposition and forcing people to work as virtual slaves on his grand building projects. So much so that when he died, his son's reign as emperor was soon overthrown in a revolt. And in the process, Ying's tomb was smashed and burnt so that many of the terracotta statues figures today are not intact. The judgment of the Chinese people themselves was that they wanted no more of this emperor in their lives. So our story today, we're going to look at two people's lives. Man has only two opportunities in this life. I want you to catch this this morning. It's either going to be self-exaltation or God-exaltation. One or the other. See, we're told in Psalm 1-6, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So what does that tell us, guys? There's one way that's right. (laughs) That's going to be lasting. So we're going to meet a living, exaltating uh, life in Herod. How many of you guys have heard of Herod before? All right. And then another living a God-exalting life, and that's Peter, which we've heard much of so far in the book of Acts. Faith is fundamentally God-exalting. Glory-seeking is fundamentally self-exalting. And the two can't fit into one person. And I think we face this reality today more than any other time in history. Look at Facebook. Look at my profile. Look at all the things I do. Look how great my kids are. Look at what they can do. That's life today, guys. So it is hard, but the Bible makes it clear in the Word of God. The truth of God can set us free. Amen? So let's take a look here in Acts chapter 12 together this morning. So the first few verses, we're going to look at this self Exalting life of Herod, it says in verse 1, Now at that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, He put him in prison and delivered him up to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. So Herod kills James. What's up with that? Meanwhile, back in Jerusalem, okay, (laughs) Herod uh, touches off another round of persecution here. This is as much political as it is religious. So Herod, you guys might be asking, well, which one? There's lots of Herods. We have Herod the Great, right? He's the one, you remember, he killed the babies trying to kill Jesus when he was a baby. Then we had Herod Antipas. He was the one that ordered that John the Baptist's head be cut off. 
And then we have Herod Agrippa the first, and this is the Herod that we're talking about here in Acts chapter 12. And then we have Herod Agrippa the second, which Paul defends himself to later in the book of Acts. So this story is told with such brevity here, but maybe it's to set the stage for the main emphasis that God's the one who delivers Peter. You see, remember, James asked this unknowingly. You can jot down Mark chapter 10, verse 35 to 37. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, Jesus, saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. So James was the first apostle to die. They killed Jesus. Now they killed one of his disciples. And James is there with Jesus in heaven. And you guys know that John was the last of the apostles to die? Pretty cool to think about. So back here in Acts 12, verse 4 again. So when he, Herod, had... Uh, or sorry, when they arrested him, speaking of Peter, he put him in prison and delivered him up to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. So they're doing the same thing. They arrested Jesus, okay? They've arrested James, had him killed. Now the people are liking it. Let's go for their leader, right? Peter, let's go get him. So, Four on duty, times four watches to prevent escape again, right? Turn back to chapter five. Let's go back. Why are all these soldiers put there just to guard this one man? What are they so afraid of happening? Are they afraid that the Christians are going to rise up and all come against them and break Peter out of jail? What's going on? Well, let's take a look back here in chapter five, verse 18. And they laid their hands on the apostles and they put them in a common prison. But at night, catch what happened, okay? Remember Peter and John are in prison here? What happens? Verse 19 says, An angel of the Lord came at night and opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered the temple eagerly in the morning and they taught. But the high priest and those with them came and they called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and they sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in prison for they had returned and reported saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them, saying, Look, the men who you put in prison, they're standing in the temple, and they're teaching the people. And then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest and asked, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name, in the name of Jesus? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, intended to bring this man's blood on us. 
So do you guys see why this time when Peter is arrested, they have all these soldiers put around him? <laughs> we don't want this to happen again because remember what happened a while back? They got out somehow and they were preaching Jesus everywhere and the whole city was in an uproar because of it. Yeah, God's awesome. Now, after Passover here, so it's curious blend of formalism in wickedness good and evil have always been in conflict ever since the fall so here uh there, there is a limit as to the sea so as to the power of evil in job 38 11 it says i said this far you may come but no farther and here your proud waves must stop so god does what he wants to do and there's certain things, hey, this is it. James, yes. Peter, no. Ain't going to happen. So let's now look back in chapter 12, living a God-exalted life. Okay, we're going to now consider Peter here. Verse 5. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garments and follow me. So he went out and he followed him and did not know that was done by the angel was real. But they thought he was seeing a vision. And when they were past the first and the second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out, and they went down the street, and immediately the angel departed from them. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname is Mark, where many were gathered together. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came, into, or came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gates. But she ran and she announced that Peter stood before the gates. But they said, you're beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that he was so. So they said, it's his angel. Now Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But motioning to them with his hand, they kept silent. And he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go, tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and he went to another place. Then as soon as it was day, there was no uh, small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. 
And he went down to Judah, or Judea, to Caesarea, and they stayed there. So God frees Peter. Pretty cool, huh? So I'm sure Peter is anticipating a similar fate of, of James as he was there in prison uh, waiting for his trial. Look at verse uh, 5. It tells us Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Do you think it's good to pray, church? Do you think God wants his house to be a house of prayer? Absolutely. There's a five-point teaching on prayer that I see from this passage. Okay, Prayer must be constant. It must be intense. It must be fervent. It must be earnest. Okay, Do you, do you guys think that God wants us to be real when we're praying? Absolutely. Okay, Not casual. Second thing I see is prayer must be ongoing. It was offered, wasn't it? Our prayers as an offering to God. The verb tense implies continual activity here. Third thing, prayer must be to God. Must be to Him. Okay, Not to His mom, not to any other saints, any other gods, only to God. In genuine contact with the living God. Not with empty repetition and not in unbelief. Fourth thing, prayer must be specific, not vague. Okay? Does God care about our things going on? Does he care about the specifics, even the little things? Absolutely. So, it's for him. Okay? They're praying specifically for Peter here. And then the fifth thing, prayer must be communal okay? by the church, together. That's why I encourage you guys. Best part of Sunday morning sometimes is 8.45 when we get together to pray. The highlight of my day so far, hearing my little brothers and sisters praying for brothers and sisters being persecuted all over the world. That's just awesome. So I encourage you guys, come out, 8.45, first Saturday of the month. Come, pray with us, guys. The gals do it on the third Sunday, or third Saturday uh, of the month. So prayer is important. The believer is not called to an isolated life, okay? And I'm sure that they thought, well, why bring our petitions to this wolf, Herod, to request the release of a lamb, Peter? So they bring their petitions to God instead, right? So 16 guards or 16,000 guards, there's a lot of argument about how many (laughs) soldiers were actually there. These men and women would still have prayed them out. That's the point. You can't put God in a box. You can't try to stop anything that he wants to do he's going to do what he wants to do he's god so praying for prisoners okay that's something we need to do that's something i do that's something many of you guys do on a regular basis it's something that god's asked us to do in hebrews 13 3 remember the prisoner okay to be praying for them did you guys know that if you are a believer that you must be concerned for prisoners you have to be. In Matthew chapter 25, it defines those who will inherit the kingdom of God. Those who are bound for heaven, okay, are those who help the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, take in strangers, close those uh, who don't have clothes, visit the sick, and visit the prisoner. That's just something we do. That's not how we inherit the kingdom. That's not how we get to go to heaven one day, find salvation. It's not in doing those things, but once you come to salvation by faith alone in Christ, there's things that just start to happen in our lives. 
We start to care about things we didn't care about before. We see someone who is poor and in need. Oh man, what's going on in my heart cords right now? Like the Holy Spirit's moving me to care. I didn't care before. I I I want to go serve them. I want to love them. I want to make sure they're okay. Where does that come from? That comes from God. To visit the jail or the prison, where does that come from? Well, it's part of God's heart. It's something he cares about. At this time, I'm going to have Kim Juvie come up and share. I've been able to do uh, jail ministry with her for a lot of years, uh, and she's still up there uh, full-time serving. And she's going to share a little bit about what's going on up there and uh, different things. So let's welcome Kim up. Good morning. Um, First of all, I want to thank you guys for faithfully supporting the jail ministries for many years. Um, it's We wouldn't be able to do what we're doing up there without those contributions and the prayer support, uh, the financial support, the partnering with the food pantry. Uh, there's been many times where we've had someone get out of jail or even had someone in jail like this past week that his family had no food. Pantries are closed. His son came to see him and said, Dad, we're just eating baby food. That's all we have. So the officers know that they can contact us, that we have resources in which we can reach out to these families and not only touch those within the jail, but those that are outside, there's families and things like that, and planting seeds to be able to spread God's word and God's love to them. So thank you very, very much. Um, There's so much happening up at the jail. We have a new chaplain. As you know, our former chaplain stepped down. Um, Chaplain David has been up there since December full-time. He's been an excellent contribution to our ministry. Uh, Him being there full-time has been uh, you see a lot of changes within the jail. We've added more Bible studies. Um, we've added more volunteers up there. Uh, his heart for just loving these inmates and just going up there and sharing God's love and just being truthful with them. You know, this is what God says. This is his, you know, what he wants for you. And um, he's very tenderhearted in that Uh just meeting with so many of them. Uh, he has a love for teaching that he never realized that he really had before, so he's learning a lot about himself as he's growing in this position. Um, he is involved with our community as well in reaching out. We are uh, actively working at trying to work with uh, sex trafficking. Um, we find that jail is ground zero for trying to make contact with these uh, ladies, especially that are being trafficked, and using the resources that we have within the community, not just trying to invent new wheels, but we're both reaching out and working on, you know, who's already doing what, where can we find the support, where can we partner with someone else, and trying to um, be able to reach more people and continue that service that we have in the aftercare, because we're finding the aftercare is just really huge part of what we do, not only in the jail, but outside of the jail. Um, let's see. 
our volunteers. We have, as I said, grown in volunteers. We are always in need of volunteers, um, not only for teaching Bible studies, but also for doing one-on-ones. We are in desperate need of volunteers for helping in the office. As I am stepping more out as the assistant women's chaplain up there, I am in the office less, or supposed to be in the office less, and out with the ladies a little bit more. So having some of that support is things that we are in need of. Even aftercare support, someone might need a ride. Um, or if you are afraid to go actually into the jail, we look for people that might be willing to reach out and do Bible studies with the men and the women on the outside. You know, just connect with them and mentor them, inviting them to church, making sure they have a ride to church, um, helping them just acclimate to a new life, meeting new people. We see a lot of times that they do really great inside, but as soon as they step out the door, they're faced with going back to their old life, to their old friends, and they don't have a support system. So, you know, they make it okay for a while, but then they start falling back into their old trends, and then we see them again up at the jail. So if you are thinking about, you know, you feeling God pull at your heart, well, maybe this is something that I could do, but no way, God, I don't want to go up there, or it's a lot of time commitment, honestly, an hour a week to meet with an inmate just to share God's love with them is time that you can come up with away from a TV, away from shopping, uh, playing on your games on your phone. If you think of all the things that you're doing that you're wasting time with, think about how you, God can use you in a new way. For me personally, I've been up at the jail for six years, right? I came up just after Chaplain Landon had started. It was not where I wanted to be. God had called me up there and I'm like, mm, you know, I'm good doing Bible studies at home with my friends. And my friend Jean uh, was up at the jail. They need Bible study leaders. I'm like, that's really nice. You have fun with that. And next week she'd come back, they're still looking, and I'm like, oh, fine. If, and, and the amazing, the funny part was is that it took her like a year to get up into the jail with all of her training and stuff. It just never seemed to quite flow. I'm like, okay, Lord, I'll go. I'll tell them I'll do it. It'll take at least a year. And by that time, other things will be happening and you'll have forgotten about it. And so she went back and she told Janet, who was working in the office, and within two hours, Janet called me. This was Thursday, and I had just gotten rid of my kids for the weekend. I was looking forward to a nice, quiet weekend. And Janet was like, I just heard that you're willing to do Bible studies, and we just so happen to have a volunteer training this weekend. Would you be available? Oh, yep. I sure would. <laughs> so I, the whole process went so quickly, and then all of a sudden I was volunteering up in the office, and then God opened doors to um, a position up there, and the more I was there, the more I fell in love with it, the more the people just really started tugging on my hearts. And now I'm supposed to be up there 20 hours a week, probably more like 30, 35 hours that I'm doing inside and outside. Um, but the fear that I had was that I just didn't know enough. I just, I don't, I can't remember Bible verses. I can't, how am I going to minister? Um, 
I have this one girl that I had been seeing for about five years, or not five years, five months. Um, her slip came in for a one-on-one, -on -one and she was Muslim. And I'm like, really? <laughs> I had been through Landon's teachings. I knew, you know, some of their understandings and things like that. And I'm just like, okay. She just had questions to be answered. And I got up there, and she came in the room, and she looked at me, and she goes, you're a girl. I'm like, yep. <laughs> Last I checked, that's how that was. <laughs> and she's like, I thought there chaplain was a male. I said, well, um, he's, there is a male chaplain. I am the female chaplain. I said, if you would prefer him, I, we can reschedule something, but I, I'm more than happy to just sit and answer any questions that you have. She's like, okay. Um, and she didn't really look at me and she goes, you're not going to convert me just so you know. I'm like, okay, I'm just here to answer your questions. So in my head, I'm going, Lord, you got to give me the words. You have to help me. And so she would ask questions, and, you know, all of a sudden, you know, God's just showing me different things of where to take her in the scripture. And, you know, she's telling me we believe in the Old Testament and in these parts, and we believe in who Jesus is. He's just not the Son of God. And I'm like, well, this is good because God took me to the Old Testament and right to where she needed to be with Abraham. And, showing her in the verses as to why, you know, Isaac was chosen and not Ishmael and how it said that. And um, we got interrupted and uh, I said, well, you know, if you have more questions, you know, just let me know. I can come back, you know, whenever you want. She goes, can you see me next week? <laughs> sure, sure. And each week she would come in and I would answer these questions and each week she would be like, I'm not going to change. I'm not going to be converted. I'm like, okay, all right, that's fine. I just, I want you to know what you believe and why you're believing it and that you don't doubt. Like, I don't doubt my faith, I said. I know what I know and I know what I believe and nothing could sway me. And if you're questioning yours, that's okay. But you have to know that you know why you believe and what you believe. She's like, okay. And so this went on for a couple weeks and she came in one day and she goes, you know, we'll never be friends. Okay. <laughs> because it's commanded to us that we can't befriend a Jew or a Christian. I'm like, why? Not, not that I'm wanting to be your friend, but why? She goes, because you'll convert us. I go, oh, that's a good reason. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, but I'll still answer your questions if you want to see me. And so we talked this one last time, and she's like, I want to believe what you have in who Jesus is. I'm just not sure. I'm like, okay. I said, you spend a lot of time in prayer. She said, yeah. I said, and prayer is really important to you. Yeah. And I said, and I know that if you hear someone praying in Jesus' name, you know, if they're blessing their food or whatever and your tray is there, you can't eat any of that food. Right. I said, okay. I want you to do something for me. When you go back this week, just one time, take a time and say, Jesus, I want to believe in you, but I'm just not sure. Show yourself to me. Show me that you are real. Because there's nothing that I could have said to her 
that would change her mind. We've gone through everything that she needed to know. It's what God was going to show to her. And I left that week, and I'm going, oh, I can't wait to go back and see, because I knew God was going to do something for her. I just knew it. And she came in, and she was on a different floor, and I'm like, okay, she's on this floor now, and I wonder what happened. And um, she just had this different look about her, and I'm like, yes. And she sat down, and she's like, I've been waiting to talk to you. I'm like, oh, I've been waiting to talk to you, too. And she went into the scenario about how she was having a horrible week and the other ladies were just really hard on her that week and um, how she was constantly, you know, being abused up there and verbally and physically and she had come in with a black eye one time and I'm just like, okay. She goes, and I, I tried to manipulate God into getting me off that floor. I've been trying for seven months now to get off that floor and to come down here and not one officer could help me not one person could get the lieutenant to change his mind and allow me to be down here and so i tried to orchestrate something and get something put on camera and when the officers went to go look on camera it wasn't there and i'm like okay and she said, and then some other things happened, and all of a sudden, they were putting me on this floor, the floor I've been trying to get on for seven months now, and I knew then that it was Jesus, because only he could do it for me. I'm like, okay, and in my head, I'm going, Lord, how do I get her to that point of knowing if she prayed a prayer, knowing if she confessed it, and in my head, I'm going, Lord, now is the time to bring back all those memory verses I'm supposed to have memorized. And so I opened up the Bible, and I'm like, I, I knew the verse that she needed to see, and she had been reading in the book of John or, and in Romans, and all of a sudden the Bible just kind of opened up and fell open, and there highlighted in my Bible was, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord you will be saved. She goes, that's the verse, that's the verse. And I'm like, yay, we could pray together now. Because <laughs> I hadn't been able to pray with her for the whole time that I hadn't been meeting with her. And I'm like, God has just done so much in this lady's heart. And each week she's coming in and you know her circumstances and her cases are so complex and just seeing her heart change. And she's starting to affect the officers and the other inmates and how she's different. And they're coming in and saying, wow, you're different. And I looked at her and I said, you know, it's okay to tell them you once were a Muslim, but now you're a believer and that's your change. And how she's gaining favor with different officers. And for she has lost like 80 pounds and she's been up there as a Muslim because she couldn't eat. Um, due to choosing to fast because they fast for different reasons, but they wouldn't give her extra food because it wasn't an official holiday for her to be fasting. And um, she was very underweight and no one, she has PTSD, things like that to where she has to, can only eat packaged food because she's worried about the food that comes into her. 
and all of a sudden a doctor that we didn't, I didn't know there was doctors that actually went up there. She didn't know there were doctors that went up there. He believed her. He looked at her charts. He listened to her. And she was all of a sudden given a special diet to where she could eat again and start getting special wa and water at special times and different things like that to start gaining her weight back to where she was just starting to see some of God's favor. And then this past week, you know, her food had been taken away again and she was having to eat this other stuff. And um, she had put herself into uh, a holding cell because someone in her cell was uh, making her crazy. And she needed to just get away because she didn't want to get sent back upstairs. So she went into the holding cell. And um, throughout the course of that week, another nurse came and saw her and got her food back to her again after she, we had been praying together that week. And then after being released from the holding cell, she went back into her normal area. And the, per, the, the people that were the reason that she went into the holding had gone upstairs. And within hours of coming out of the holding cell, one of the girls was coming back down. She didn't know who it was, but they needed to have a roommate. And the person that they were going to have a roommate refused and was going to move into this other cell because she had the best cell, so they wanted to room with her. Um, so she volunteered to go room with this other girl. And lo and behold, it was the girl that was the reason that she went into that holding cell for. And the officer looked at her and goes, why would you do that? Why would you want to room with someone that you just got yourself away from? And why would you offer to do that? She said, well, God has a reason for everything. You know, someone has to do it. And each week she pulls up her Bible and she goes, how can anyone not follow what this says or not believe what this says? And for this one person, it makes it all worthwhile. Because all I had to do was show up. And God does the rest in all of it, every time. In my weakness, in my failures, in my not knowing, he does it. And it has been the hugest blessing that I've ever had. So if you are interested, if you have even an inkling of just wanting to know more about it, please see me. Um, I would love to talk with you and get you involved because it is a well worth while. Uh, one last thing, September. We are not having a walkathon this year. We're just having the party part. So in September, I think it's the 24th on a Saturday at Herb Park. It's a community event. Um, please, uh, we'll have more information to you as I know, but kind of keep it in the back of your head. We would love for you to come out and share the afternoon with us. There'll be bounce houses for the kids. I think they have music concert people that are coming to play. Um, just a great time to fellowship with people. Absolutely, there'll be food. Um, but just hearing more about our ministry, and um, we would love to see you there. Thanks. Yeah, you can go to our website, cometofreedom.com, and under our missions, they have a link there for the jail ministry. And um, yeah, God definitely has a heart uh, for the broken, right? He's near the brokenhearted. He's came to seek and save the lost. And so many people that land in jail, um, they've been tossed to and fro and just beat up by the enemy, by this world. 
Um, and they just need hope. They need Jesus. And that's what we, his kids, get to do. We get to go and just share the gospel. And the, the doors are open for us right here in our own county, uh, wide open, whatever we want to do. So I encourage you guys, go share the love of Jesus with them. And you guys know the word. You're at a good church. Um, you have a lot more to give than what you think. So back to Acts chapter 12. Verse 6, when Herod was about to bring him out. You guys know that God's never too late? I love that. He's never too late. Look at verse 7 and 8. What was Peter doing? He was fast asleep. (laughs) I love that, right? So the angel has to knock him uh, uh, in the side, okay? Grab him and get him up. Like, come on, dude. <laughs> you know? you're, you're sleeping. You know? Would you guys be sleeping? Think about it. If you're um, about to go before Herod to be on trial, knowing what happened in James, would you be sleeping the night before? No way, right? So this angel, like, talk about you know, being touched by an angel, right? Verse nine. Um, that's where they got it from, I guess. Anyways, Peter, uh, Peter's three sleeping times. Okay. You guys remember the Mount Transfiguration? Okay. In Gethsemane. And now here, guy just liked to sleep. Um, so perfect peace, the very night uh, of his uh, contemplating execution. So this was sleep of unquestioning trust in God. Okay. I think God wants us to trust in him. When we're up at night worrying, tossing to and fro, God says, talk to me. At least that's what happens to me when I wake up in the middle of the night. All right, time to talk to the Lord. (laughs) Because he's got this, right? I love Psalm 127, verse 2. It says, he gives his beloved sleep. God wants us to sleep. You guys know eight hours is healthy? Nine hours. Sleep if you can. If you can't sleep, pray. Um, Peter right? Quiet continence, perfect security, patient hope here. In verses 9 to 11, we see Peter was totally passive throughout the entire incident here. Um, His escape was truly a divine deliverance taking place. No way way to tell a Jack Bauer story of, hey, knocking down guards, past security cameras, kicking in the front gate. It was all, no, it was God, (laughs) okay? Period. There's no way. So the, the thing is, this was a God thing, and to him be the glory. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's look at verse 17. But Ma, uh, motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Okay, glory to God. And he said, go, tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and he went to another place. So verse 10, an angel did for Peter only what he could not do for himself, and then he departed. In verse 12, there's a scene shift here to a Christian community praying fervently for Peter, uh, just that none of them really thought that he was released. <laughs> I don't know if you guys got a, a chuckle out of reading that, but it's like, okay, you guys are praying for his release. He shows up and you don't even believe, you just think it's his angel. I don't even know what that means. You know, his messenger showed up. What are you talking about? Uh, so if you've ever been guilty of expecting less than complete answer to prayer, I'm going to pray it, but I'm not really believing it's going to happen. I think we're all guilty of that. Is that how God asks us to pray? No. When we are to pray, we are to pray in faith. So pray believing, guys. It's like the church prayer meeting for rain and only one member shows up with an umbrella. You know? It's like show up expecting God. He does. 
okay? He is alive. So God is not uh, wanting great men, but he is wanting men that will dare to prove the greatness of their God. That is what he's looking for. And that's what I want us to be here at Freedom Fellowship. I want us to be a people of his that want to do great things for him. Not just to play church, have our little programs and social gatherings and make each other feeling good. There's enough of those churches. Guys, we're living in the last days. Okay, Our life here is but a vapor. It's short. Let's do great things for our great God. Amen? So I think a key is found in Psalm uh, 5, verse 3, in regards to prayer. I will direct it to you. So there's a direction of a prayer. It's to God. And I will look up. Okay, And I love that phrase, I will look up, because there's an expectation. Hey, I'm going to pray to you, and I'm going to be looking. I'm going to be waiting. And we should be like that. So it was the fervent prayer of the church that led to Peter's release. And I often think, guys, how much doesn't happen because we're not praying. We're not praying. Are we really praying for souls to be saved, for God to move powerfully in our lives, in the lives around us, for salvation to happen? You know, well, I'm too busy praying about life, temporal things, you know. And God cares about those things, but I think we pray way too small. We don't think God is able to do, but he's wanting to do. So we need to pray. Just a side note, I love D.L. Moody. I don't know if you guys have ever read of his life. His ministry radically changed when people around him began to pray. Revival broke out when God's people gathered to pray. We need to pray. Um, I think this is real similar to Joshua's famous victory over the Malachites in Rephidim. You guys familiar with that story? It was one on God's power released through intercession It was not Joshua's intercession. What was he up to? He was focused on fighting, right? Hey, there's a war. These Amalekites, they need to go down. They're kicking our butt. We got to keep going, guys. Don't give up. He wasn't praying. But Moses was there interceding up on the mountain, aided by Aaron and Hur. And the hand of God moved as they interceded. And Joshua was given the victory. We need to be praying, brothers and sisters. That's in Exodus chapter 17, if you want to go back and read that later today. But there is tiresome intercession. It's something we're we given to. Okay? Uh, now that I'm freed up a little more, now being done at the, the jail, um, I'm at the church a lot more. Um, and something I've really purposed to do is give myself to prayer. You know, I've honestly had more prayer this last season of life than I've had in the previous decade or two in ministry. And something I uh, try to do every Tuesday is to get together with a group of pastors. And I have to drive a little ways. It's all the way out to New London, Shyacton, Black Creek. I'm just willing to go to a group of men that are willing to really intercede. It's not about getting together and having fun time with some other pastors. No, we want to see God move in this valley. And we're willing to get together and just pray to intercede. And I encourage you guys, make a point to do that. There's prayer summits. We have prayer available. Just make it happen. So the angel uh, fetched Peter out of prison, but it was the prayer that fetched the angel. Think about that. Verse 15, it says, you are beside yourselves. He's out of his mind, right? Um, I'm oh, sorry, this is talking about Rhoda here, okay? Um, so strong that Rhoda was accused of being mad, okay? You, you, what are you talking about? Peter's not out of jail. You know how many guards are watching him, okay? No way Herod would let that happen. 
Uh, God is real and he answers prayer. That's the point here. Many of us grasp this concept intellectually, but when the evidence is knocking at the door, we find it hard to believe. And then in verse 16, it is always right to pray. Even if your faith is so weak, you're uh, surprised when an answer comes. I don't know if you guys have ever done that. You're just throwing up a flippant prayer. Oh, nothing's going to happen, but you pray it anyways, and God immediately shows up and does. So keep knocking. God is opening doors. Uh, maybe they didn't expect deliverance because of James' situation, what went down with him. I don't know why their hearts were in that place. Maybe prayed, you know, comfort him, Lord. Maybe, you know, let him not suffer. Let him die quickly. Let him have the ability to endure the pain that he's about to go through. Help him be a witness as he's dying for you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what they were praying, okay? Um, maybe they did. And maybe they did pray for his deliverance and they're just, you know, in this place of not believing and they end up being shocked. What seemingly impossible door are you knocking at right now? What door are you knocking on? Well, if you're not knocking, you should be knocking because God's asked us to. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, okay? So what this might change, I hope this passage might change how you're knocking how you're praying. We need to be persistent. So let's move on to living this self-exalting life that we see in Herod again. Look at uh, the second part of Herod in verse 20. Now Herod, he'd been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord and having made Blastus, the king's personal aide, their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So on a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel. He sat on his throne and he gave an uh, oration to them. And the people kept shouting, The voice of God and not of man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. I love it. Yes, kids, this is a Bible story. Verse 24. But the word of God grew and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. And they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. And that's the one who would end up writing the Gospel of Mark. So God kills Herod. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, This chapter begins with Herod killing James and it ends with God killing Herod. Uh, So if you oppose God, you'll lose every time, okay? The second commandment is seen clearly here. I, the Lord, I am a jealous God. He's jealous. He's not going to let Herod have that glory. So if your goal is to seek your own glory, You can't be a Christian. It doesn't work. Um, A Christian then is one who seeks God's glory. And this should become your life driving purpose, guys. It is the glory of God. Isaiah tells us we've been created for the glory of God. It is all about Him. It is for Him. No matter what shakes out in this life, it is for Him. John 5.44, how can you believe who receive honor, glory from one another and do not seek to honor glory that comes from God only. 
So God is committed to his own name, his own reputation, his own glory, his own fame. This is not self-centeredness, but for everyone's good. In verse 22, it talks about Tyre and Sidon here. It had been denied access to Israel's grain markets. Okay, They were willing to grovel and ask Agrippa to have mercy on them and to lift the grain embargo. So God, uh, God lets Herod's pride and his self-centeredness and self-exaltation go all the way to the end so that we can see where our pride uh, where our pride is going and why we should crucify it as soon as we see its ugly head uh, arising, right? So this pride laid bare once again. This is nothing new in Scripture, right? Lucifer tried it. Adam and Eve tried it. Nebuchadnezzar tried it. He who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So Herod is to be put down for the treason of self-exaltation in the place of God-exaltation. How many of you guys are familiar with uh, Josephus? He was a Jewish historian. I want to read his account, um, really speaking into verses 22 and 23 here, but this is what he said. He said, Agrippa came to Caesarea where there was a festival for him. On the second day, he put on a garment made entirely of silver, and he came into the theater early in the morning, at which time the silver of his garment, reflecting the sun's rays, showed so splendidly as to spread a horror on those gazing at him. Presently, his flatterers exclaimed that he was a god, adding, be merciful to us, for although till now we have reverenced you only as a man, henceforth we will regard you as a superior to mortal nature. But the king neither rebuked them nor rejected their impious flattery. However, as he looked up, he saw an owl and immediately understood that, his, uh, that this bird was a messenger of ill tidings. Suddenly and violently a severe pain arose in his stomach. Therefore he looked at his friends and he said, I whom you call a God am commanded now to leave this life. While providence thus reproves the lying words you just now said to me. And after five days, exhausted by stomach pain, he died aged 53. So for the creature to rise up, and to throw off the realization of his uh, creaturelessness and claim credit for doing things that only God does is not bad, bad. It's high treason, treason guys. Um, it's the ultimate sin to think, I did it all. It's me. So are we stealing glory from God? That's what we have to ask ourselves this morning. Are we stealing glory from God? Are we attributing to him every good thing in our life, every good gift that we have, every ability and every talent that we possess, every good deed we do? Do you make much of Jesus or much of yourself? Do you work to honor Christ? Does your marriage exalt Christ? Does your temper honor Christ? 
Does your home glorify Christ? If we all desire to make much of the name and the reputation of Jesus, it would cause us to pray different, it would cause us to be thinking different, and it would end up with us acting different. This mindset would transform our entire life, our thoughts, our attitudes, the things we talk, our speech, parenting, dating, finances, everything in our lives, guys, if we grab hold of this truth. If we look at verse 24 with Agrippa's sudden removal here, the persecution ended temporarily, and once more the word of God flourished. And that's one thing I love. The persecution keeps coming against the church, but the word of God keeps going forth. And that's what we want to do, guys. We want the word of God to go forth. Because why? It's all about Jesus, isn't it? The volume of the book is about Jesus. He is the Logos. Okay? Him we preach. We don't preach ourselves. Don't look at us. Look at him. That's all we're to be. We want to be reflectors. Individually, as his kids, and corporately as a church family here. Man, when people talk about Freedom Fellowship, I don't want them to talk about any one of us. The preaching, the music, kids, blah, 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 blah. Who cares? I hope when people consider Freedom Fellowship, hey, that's the church that's all about Jesus. They like Jesus. They're in the Word because it's about Jesus. (laughs) It's Him. So let's wrap this up this morning. So why does God let James die and Peter live? Some of you guys might have been asking that this morning. What's up with this, God? What can we learn from that? Well, the will of the Lord is always wise and good. Amen? But it is not always predictable. God spares Peter and allows James to die. So why does God wait and spare Peter at the last minute, as we saw in verse 6? So why does God allow Herod to kill James, but not permit him to act like a god? Is this how you would have done it? There's things that have shaken out in my life, and I've had big questions. God, this makes no sense. I don't understand this. Why this way? It just doesn't fit. It doesn't work. In my understanding, it would have been a lot better if it went down this way, God. If it worked out this way. I found a lot of rest through the years in Deuteronomy 29.29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of his law. Now I do know what has been revealed, I've studied his word. I know his heart. I understand his will. I know his character, that he can be trusted, that he's faithful, that he is good and he works things out for the good. So even when things shake out and they're not making sense, what I do know is God is going to be good in it. (laughs) There's a purpose in it, even if it doesn't make sense now or maybe not even on this side of heaven. It might be revealed one day and like, whoa, God, that was perfect. You see, I hope this helps us to back off thinking we know everything that God is doing, will do, and wants to do in someone's life. You know, it's so hard, guys. Life is not easy. And we don't know why things happen the way they happen. I reflect a lot in the book of Job nowadays. And one of the things that Job's friends thought, uh, they thought they knew exactly what God was up to. 
They thought they knew exactly what God was doing, why Job had to go through all these things. But they were the farthest from the truth, guys. And sometimes when we're going through it, we got brothers and sisters that love us, that are there to pray for us, support us. But sometimes they give us the worst counsel in the world. (laughs) They think they know why things are happening the way they're happening. Sometimes, guys, we just live in a fallen world and we're reaping the consequences of sin. Sometimes God, through those things, has a greater plan than anticipated. Things that he's doing that we don't even have a clue about. So whenever you're pondering playing God in someone's life, remember Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. My thoughts, this is God speaking, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So we go on, okay? Not knowing what will befall us, but knowing Christ. And that is the one thing we should counsel our loved ones when they're going through it. Keep pointing them to Jesus. I don't know, but I know God's on the throne. I know he loves you. I know he's there for you. Let us pray together. So we go on, guys, whether in life or death, whether in suffering or in service, to beat her, to live was Christ, for James to die was gain. So Christ at all times, Christ in all circumstances, Christ at all costs, Christ in all our actualities, and Christ in all our possibilities. Amen? Amen. And Father, we cling to that, we hold to that. It is you and you alone. You are the one, Father, who has done it. You established it. You finished the work. God, you're the answer. You are the truth. You are the way. Father, we thank you that your ways are way better than ours, that you are much wiser than we are. God, and to think about all the possibilities, Father, that this life could hold and has, Father. I do believe that we miss much because we don't ask. We just don't ask. We want to be a believing people. We want to be those, Father, who are uh, dreaming big, knowing that you are a big God that's up to big things. And we thank you for the privilege of being a part of that. We thank you for the privilege of the jail ministry and the, the pantry and the clothes closet and all the other things that we just get to be a part of. God, and I pray that we would just continue to grow in knowing you, knowing your heart and just doing life with you, Father. And we ask this in your name. Amen. All right, well, let's stand to our feet. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified.